Remember, freedom is a gift from God. Choose to accept it, guard it, nourish it, share it with your loved ones. Don't let anyone take it from you. Choose to be free. Learn how to choose freedom with your host, Dr. Baruch Platner. Welcome to the show, folks. One of the issues of global importance that has been really underreported lately, both by the mainstream media and uh, the alternative media or, or the Trump-supported media or however you want to call us, is the going, going on, what's going on in Belarus, in um, uh, the former Soviet Republic of Belarus. And there, is, there are at least two aspects of it that are critically important to what's going on in the world and also the upcoming election in America. And uh, uh, I'll try to explain that because that's something that has really been overlooked. Um, first of all, the geopolitical aspect, the, I would say the kind of the straight up answer why Belarus is important has to do with um, the birth of the Soviet Union and um, what happened at that time. Now we must recall that the Bolsheviks that uh, uh, instituted the coup d'etat against the uh, temporary government, the provisional government that was uh, inst installed in St. Petersburg in February of 1917 when Tsar Nicholas II was forced to abdicate, these Bolsheviks led by uh, Vladimir Lenin, or as his real name was Vladimir Ulyanov, and uh, people like Trotsky and Stalin and so on, was a motley crew of people with various backgrounds. Um, none of these people had any real accomplishments, which by the way, is very similar to what is happening now in the West with our so-called elites in Canada, for example, Christia Freeland, the um, Minister of Finance, has no background in finance whatsoever. She is a, some sort of failed journalist. Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, is a failed drama teacher or some such. Uh, well, that was similar in Russia back then because this, this Bolshevik crew were all kinds of people. None of them had any significant education. None of them were good at their whatever jobs they did uh, hold if, if they held any. Stalin started in a seminary studying to be a priest, then dropped out. Um, Lenin didn't do much of anything. Uh, and Trotsky was, uh, or as his real name was Bronstein, was um, some sort of a journalist. In other words, it was a motley crew of people who had zero accomplishments and really not that much in common except one thing. They all hated Russia and they hated more, more notably the Russian people. Now you, you would ask yourself how that can be and the answer is that uh, most of these Bolsheviks were not Russian ethnically. So uh, uh, Trotsky, uh, his real name was Leo Bronstein, was a Jew, there are many other Jews. Stalin, his real name was uh, Yosef Jugashvili, was a Georgian from the Caucasus. 
Lenin himself from his mother's side, his family name was um, Blanc. Uh, so his mother was half Jewish. His, uh, uh, his father was half Kalmyk, which is kind of Mongolian. These people um, hated Russia, everything it stood for. The Russian Empire, the Rus Russian history. They hated the Russian version of the Greek Orthodox uh, Christianity that was practiced in Russia. And they hated the Russian people, the, the ethnos of Russia. And uh, their, their big idea was um, to destroy it, uh, simply put, and replace it with a kind of a globalist uh, empire. And they, by the way, they were fully committed ideologically to that, and they expected that the rest of the world would follow suit after their so-called revolution. So uh, the reason I'm mentioning it right now is because after the Bolsheviks kind of consolidated their rule over what you know that that um, territory that was previously called the Russian Empire, and they in in the early 1920s they created what became known as the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR, and in doing so they uh, created these artificial boundaries. They they made it up uh, from 15 separate republics of which uh, Russia was the biggest but then there were Ukraine, Belarus, um, uh, Moldova or Moldavia, Georgia, Armenia, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan and so on. And uh, they did it uh, as a kind of a nod uh, towards this idea of um, uh, maybe, uh, how to say, aboriginality, the idea of indigenousness, all these ideas that still uh, um, carry a lot of water now in the West, and also to kind of weaken Russia itself. But they never expected to lose control over these, th over these territories. But when the Soviet Union finally collapsed in 1990, what happened then is that, as we know, all these so-called Soviet republics became independent countries. And that is how we have Ukraine as an independent country, Moldova as an independent country, Belarus, and so on. And all the stuff to the east and to the south, Armenia, Georgia, and all the stuns. Well, now Russia is governed by Vladimir Putin uh, under these auspices of... Um, um, a kind of a resurgent ethnically Russian empire. He's putting a lot of emphasis on the Russian culture, Russian ethnicity, and uh, the Russian religion, which is a kind of a version of a Greek Orthodoxy, a Greek Orthodox Christianity. So there's a lot of churches going up. Bolsheviks, of course, were tearing churches down. Putin is putting them back up. Uh, many new ones, and so all of that. So one of the things Putin is very keen on is re kind of reacquiring those territories that belong to the Ro Russian Empire and were torn away from Russia uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed because they were declared as those republics back in 1922 or so, or 25 maybe.
And uh, Belarus has a very, very key role to play in that. Because, uh, as we know, Ukraine had a kind of anti-Russian revolution in 2014. Moldova, further to the south, is kind of anti-Russian, more pro-Western inclined, because it has a large Hungarian minority um, and, and a large Romanian minority. So it's, it, Moldova is a kind of uh, Romanian, Hungarian, Slavic conglomerate, but it's certainly not very, um, how should I say, Russian-oriented. Well, when we go further north, we encounter the very large agriculturally and, and technically important uh, Republic of Belarus, which is, however, the most important uh, is, is, is its, or, or, or most importantly, it's very geopolitically important. And the reason for that is that it's bordered on the north and the, in the north and the west by the Baltic republics, which are stridently anti-Russian, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. In, on, on, in the West, it's bordered by Poland, which is uh, a member of NATO, and in the South by the Ukraine, which now is also anti-Russian. So if Belarus were to adopt a kind of uh, anti-Russian, more pro, or, more, or at least, or at least um, less pro-Russian and more pro-Western kind of uh, uh, policy, it would basically open a corridor for anti-Russian forces from the Baltic Sea in the north all the way down to the Black Sea in the south. Uh, and that would be a corridor, that, that's a very, very long border. And as far as Russia is concerned, it would bring uh, Western forces, NATO forces and so on, very, very close to its heartland. If you look at the map, Belarus kind of bulges into Russia and it's very, very close to key historically Russian cities like Smolensk uh, that traditionally have been the root of all invaders into Russia from the West, start, uh, from Napoleon to Hitler. So this uh, border, if that border between Russia and Belarus became a kind of a border that's not friendly to Russia, that would be a major, major defeat to, the, to, to, to Putin's policy of re-establishing Russia as a um, force to be reckoned with in the world uh, once again. So it's very unlikely that Putin will allow Ru uh, Belarus to, to fall into into the hands of those who uh, uh, who are kind of more pro-Western and less pro-Russian. And that's precisely what Tikhanovskaya, the, the, the challenger to the current Belarusian strongman Lukashenko, is all about. So Lukashenko is um, he's a despot, of course, and all of that, but he is a pro-Russian despot. And he was kind of promoting... Uh, even though kind of begrudgingly, uh, a process that eventually would have led kind of inexorably to the reunification of Russia and Belarus. In other words, into, to the kind of reintegration uh, of Belarus into, into Russia or, or, or kind of into the resurgent 
renewed Russian Empire under Vladimir Putin. Uh, Lukashenko kind of balked at the very last minute from actually doing that, uh, but he's still a staunchly pro-Russian kind of character. Well, if he were to be dragged out of his office by those demonstrations, very peaceful ones, that have been happening in Minsk, in the capital of Belarus, uh, there's no question that the powers that be that, that the powers that would come into play or, or to power in Minsk after him would be much less pro-Russian, and uh, even though they may not be very pro-Western, and at least initially, from fear that Russia will simply or would simply invade with tanks, they would certainly be uh, totally uninclined to unify with Russia. Uh, and that's the, the story there. So what is going on there is as follows. Lukashenko, there was an election, and Lukashenko supposedly won uh, an 80% majority. However, nobody really believes that this was a fair election and that he won 80% majority. And there are all these demonstrations, mass demonstrations in Minsk. And Lukashenko has been deploying his KGB, the Belarusian KGB, it's actually called that. It stands for Komitet Gesudarstvene Bezapasnosti, which is the Bureau of State Security. And they've been beating these people up and uh, torturing them and throwing them in jail and all that kind of stuff. Uh, very tough stories that come out from there. And so far he's been kind of clinging to power, even though uh, the Baltic Republics, Poland and the European Union in general has declared that they see his re-election as illegitimate. In other words, they do not see in him uh, they see in him kind of the de facto you, uh, leader of um, or ruler of Belarus because he's clinging to power, but they certainly do not see him as a legitimate leader of, of, of Belarus. And uh, his challenger, <clears throat> she went into exile in uh, Lithuania, just to the north. <clears throat> so <clears throat> what's happening uh, in Belarus is that there is this very uneasy situation right now and uh, uh, things are hanging in the balance. If those demonstrations and, uh, and um, the kind of the pro-Western movement that is happening there succeeds in uh, deposing Lukashenko, Putin will be first faced with a very difficult choice. Uh, accept that Belarus will never be reintegrated with Russia in the, any kind of foreseeable future, and probably will acquire a more and more pro-Western stance, bringing pro-Western, anti-Russian influence and forces very, very close to Moscow, to Smolensk, and to the Russian heartland, or uh, take action, take literal military action. But you have to remember here that Belarus is not Belarus, 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 uh, is not uh, the Crimean Peninsula. Crimean Peninsula is rather insulated there. It juts down into the Black Sea. Uh, it uh, historically was Russian indeed, not Ukrainian. 
was only ceded to the Ukraine or granted to the Ukraine by, by Khrushchev in the 1950s. Originally, when the republics were divided a quarter century earlier, it was part of Russia. And it's small. When you're talking about Belarus, that's a large country in the center of Europe. And if Putin actually invades it with uh, his military, even if the Belarusian military supports that, it would be something that would be very difficult for the West to swallow. So all kinds of um, unpredictable consequences can follow from that course of action. So that's uh, that will th those will be the two possibilities stemming out of, of the situation in Belarus now. If Lukashenko kind of uh, hangs on to power, that may buy a certain period of stability, uh, but it's not real stability because um, the guy is old. There is no real way of transferring power uh, down the line. And it does appear that his use of excessive force and his behavior in this crisis has substantially already written him out of power. And so the question is just, what comes next? Now, there are other implications, very important ones, to, uh, to the elections that are going to be held in America soon. And uh, we will talk about those in the next segment. Stay tuned. the outlaw truth from sea to shine and see. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world. To unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. We are the vision of the voices. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show, folks. As I said in the previous segment, um, the goings-on in Belarus are very important to the world today, and I described in the previous segment how they are important from the straight-up geopolitical strategic um, perspective of the balance of forces in the world. But there is another very important implication of what's going on there to, that people are not thinking about or talking about, and that's towards the American election in November, uh, in early November, November 3rd, only about 65 days from now or so. And uh, how is that? How is it that that uh, far part of the world can influence or, or tell us anything about the elections in America? Well, the mechanism for that is as follows. Imagine that in America, we're going to have an election and, you know, the polls are showing one thing. They're showing a tight race. They're showing Biden slightly in the lead uh, in battleground states and as well as nationally, you know, five points, seven points, a few points. But uh, we know that from previous polling in the 2016 that that was not enough. That kind of uh, uh, quote-unquote advantage in the polls was not enough for Hillary to pull it out, thank God. 
and uh, most people on our side think that that will not be enough today and that Trump is likely to win uh, in a landslide. In other words, uh, at least in an electoral college landslide, that he's going to get uh, 350 or more uh, votes in the electoral college and so on. And you know, we, we're in the midst of uh, uh, the, the Republican uh, National Convention now, and um, or just um, finished, and it's hard to not be, you know, it's hard to not to not be encouraged by the, but what we see on the TV screen, right? In other words, what we see in this convention is normal people, patriotic Americans, who one after the other come to the mic and and they just sound great, they look great, what they say makes sense, they just provide such a counterpoint to all this, as we say in Yiddish, Meshigas, craziness that we see on the other side of our TV screen. All these lootings and burnings and, and the destruction of businesses that people had put lifetimes and sometimes generations into building. And just wanton violence, but also, you know, these roaming gangs of, of, of idiots that interrupt people when they're trying to have a, a quiet dinner with their loved ones and start yelling at them and, and demanding that they pump their fists in the air and say that they support BLM or whatever nonsense. So we're watching a kind of a split screen, right? We're watching a screen in which on one side we see Oh, you know, that lobster fisherman from Maine who who finally, you know, Trump's uh, policies allowed him to ship his lobsters out of out of America, you know, uh, without tariffs, because Trump said, hey, you know, if you impose tariffs on our Maine lobsters, we'll impose tariffs, tariffs on your stuff that you send to us and so on. And then we see, you know, Melania Trump, who in very reasoned tones talks to us like a human being should be talking to other human beings you know not she's the epitome of civilization of civilized behavior of how civilized people should be talking to each other without hysterics without name calling without yelling and by the way all these people doesn't matter the race black white or anything in between who we see on that side of the screen, they, they look human, they look civilized, they look normal. Normal is a big word here. And what do we see on the other side of the screen? We see people, including their own politicians like Nancy Pelosi, who look absolutely deranged, deranged, right? I mean, they look insane. So we're watching this kind of split screen movie develop. But, you know, and when you, when you, mute the other the, 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 here's the danger the danger is that we look at this other side of the screen and we say oh my god this is ugly it's horrible it's depressing so i'm just gonna you know click and make that go away and now on my whole screen my entire screen i'm watching the rnc and i'm watching all these lovely hard-working patriotic americans talk to me in a language that i can understand 
but there's a problem here because just because we push the button on the remote or just because we choose to not watch certain channels on TV certain stations that doesn't mean that the reality isn't split it just means that we choose to look only at one side of reality and that's a dangerous self-delusion so I'll come back to the issue of Belarus and how that comes into it so imagine that our or let's stipulate that our uh, kind of uh, prognosis comes true and Trump wins uh, an electoral college landslide maybe even 400 out of what 540 electoral votes and maybe even wins I don't know 60% let's say of the of the popular vote and that of course would be just a you know unprecedented almost kind of victory but let me remind you that Nancy Pelosi uh, has already said that under no circumstances I'm sorry Hillary Hillary Clinton has already said that under no circumstances should Biden concede the elections and Pelosi said that no matter what Trump will be fumigated out of the White House okay so what what is likely to develop where if Trump wins the way we think he will win is that the Democrats will put in play this scenario that they've been working on now for quite a long time in other words they will simply say that the election has been rigged and it is null and void completely null and void and in order to support that they will uh, they're already preparing for it right so they will say that and it's all hoaxes none of it is true but it doesn't matter because because they've been saying it now for a while so they'll just go back to, and say that's what happened so they say well Trump depressed the vote by pushing people to vote in person where most many people were uncomfortable with voting in person especially let's say in the big cities where our base electorate is okay and then they say well and in addition to that Trump has made it difficult to vote by mail because he uh, defunded the, 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 the post office and he welded shut those mailboxes and he blocked the 25 billion dollar package that we trans that we passed in the Congress to uh, support the, the United States Post Service. It doesn't matter again that any, that none of this is true or or even remotely connected to reality. It's what they're already saying, and of course, if the election doesn't go their way, they will just point to that and say, "Well, this election is as if it's never been." In other words, what they will say is that this American election, this whatever numbers is that will be the by which Trump wins, are the same as the 80% that Lukashenko put in for himself in the Belarusian election. In other words, that this is just not true. And, and, and think about this for a second. How do we know that uh, Lukashenko did not indeed win 80% of the Belarusian vote? I mean, how do we know this? How, the European Union, they, they don't recognize his election. 
there are a lot there's a lot of push in America to for the American Congress to also say that they do not recognize his election. But how do we actually know that? So well, people say, okay, well let's see now. He's a dictator. Okay, so there's that check. You know, he's a strong man. He's a uh, he's somebody who is known to have disregard for democratic principles. Well, let's see now. Is Trump being being has Trump been accused of the same things by? the American left, and by the way, by progressive and leftist communist forces, globalist forces, not only in America, but also in other parts of the world, like in Europe. Of course he has. So in other words, Lukashenko is a despot and cannot be trusted to have a fair election. Trump is a despot who cannot be trusted to have a fair election. Put a check mark on that. Now, next. Next is this thing, can, can any reasonable person vote for such a ridiculous caricature, tin pot, despot uh, persona like Lukashenko? Can you ever see a, you know, anybody voting for such a hideous personality? Of course not. Well, back to Trump. Orange man bad, we know that. You know, can any, is it even reasonable that people will vote for Trump, they will say? Of course not. I mean, Trump is beyond the pale. He is literally Hitler. So who, who you know, they, oh, they tell us that 60% of Americans voted for Trump? Who are these 60% of, of Americans? I don't know any Americans that vote Trump. You know, so it's the same as with Lukashenko again. Again, from the leftist perspective, right? So... Put a check on that. In other words, is, 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 is it reasonable that such a bad man would be elected with a large majority? No. Same for Lukashenko, same for Trump. Move on down the line. Demonstrations. Have there been mass demonstrations against Lukashenko before and after the election? Yes, there have been. Go back to America. Have there been mass demonstrations uh, uh, against Trump before the election? Sure. All these BLM uh, burnings and lootings and, and you know, all of that stuff, that's anti-Trump, right? All these Antifa actions, that's anti-Trump. Well, so the United States is already on fire. That's why they're doing it, by the way. The reason that Portland's been burning for 60 days now, or however long it is, and Seattle and Kenosha and... New York and Chicago and DC, DC, Washington. That's all to support this narrative post-election. The narrative that America is so, uh, how should I say, uh, upended, that the democratic process in America is so uh, destroyed that no fair election can be held anyway, right? And if Trump wins, like we are, we are uh, kind of assuming here, well, you know, after the election, Katie barred the door because the demonstrations and the disruptions of peace that will happen after the election will absolutely dwarf those that are happening now. <clears throat> and already there is so much uh, destruction of uh, private property and public property and federal property and so on that 
already it's unsustainable. Already uh, there has to be there have to be deployment of deployments of national guard and so on. Especially since the local police officers and police forces are told by the democratic uh, mayors and governors to step down uh, and not or to stand down and not do their jobs. And that's another part of this plan. So what have we seen? We've seen demonstrations in, in Belarus. Yes, we've seen Lukashenko, the strong man, the, the orange man bad of Belarus. We've seen him deploy his paramilitary forces to suppress those demonstrations. Yes, we have. Well, the same thing in America. In America, we've seen that we've seen these disruptions, lootings, demonstrations prior to the election, those so-called peaceful protests, just like in Belarus, Belarus, except in Belarus, they're actually peaceful. But in America, there is this false narrative that they're peaceful and that the Trump, so-called Trump administration is deploying these so-called military, paramilitary forces like the National Guard against them or Homeland Security. You know, so after the election is going to be worse. They're going to try and make it so that there is no choice but to deploy larger and larger forces to make more and more arrests. And so again, this there, there will be this parallel between what's happening in, in Belarus with, with this supposedly illegitimate election of Lukashenko and what will be happening in America with the election of Trump, who will they, they will claim is also also illegitimate, right? So they're trying to, they, they will try to make these parallels and they will, say, they will say, hey, you know, yes, so there was an election, but it's a sham election. It's a sham election. It's an election which we do not recognize. I believe, folks, that there will really be, come November the 3rd, there will really be an unprecedented situation in which uh, the Democrats that are now in the, in the Senate and in the Congress and some Democratic governors, if not all of them, and mayors of large cities like Lightfoot in Chicago and de Blasio in New York and so on, they will literally, for the first time in American history, go on record as saying that the American election was... Um, blatantly falsified, uh, that it was illegal, illegitimate, and therefore uh, its results should be uh, uh, null and void. In Belarus, for example, what they're trying to do is they're trying to uh, have Lukashenko call for another election, okay, a second election. In the United States, there is absolutely no constitutional precedent for anything like this. There is no way constitutionally that an election can be voided, that a new election can be called. This is not a European system in which, you know, par the parliament can vote to disband itself, forcing a new election. In America, that is not possible. The Constitution did not provide for such a, uh, such a mechanism. So nobody really knows what may happen under such a scenario. What may happen or what will happen when the Democrats in America just say, play, 
say plain as day that they do not believe this election, that they think that this election is is null and void and, and they're just not going to abide by its results. This is a recipe for major, major trouble, including an actual civil war. And I fervently hope that they don't go that route, but I also believe that they will. And hoping that they don't is not going to help. I mean, they are primed to go in that direction. So we'll talk more about this in the next segment. Stay tuned. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi-nutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Welcome back to the show, folks. So uh, normally what I try to do in, um, in this show, Choose to be Free, is set up the stage for the first two segment and the segments and then in the third segment uh, talk a little bit about what kind of tangible real actions uh, you may want to think about in order to keep yourself and your family safe and uh, and free and i think uh, we'll continue in that in that uh, uh, in that mode today as well so what what i've been trying to set the stage for in the in the previous two segments is to is to show you that what is happening in belarus in this uh, former Soviet uh, Republic has implications towards the American election and not only to the world's to, to world stability. Uh, what will happen in the American election uh, if Trump wins, as we all fervently hope he does, is that the communist, globalist, progressive, however you want to call them, forces in America which includes all of the Democratic Party and its functionaries, will refuse to accept the results of the election. Okay, 
and they will refuse to accept the results of the election on the same grounds that the West is now refusing to accept the election of uh, Lukashenko in Belarus. In other words, uh, they will say that the candidate himself, in other words, the, 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 the person in charge now, Lukashenko or Trump, are despots, that they're bad, that they're beyond the pale, that it's just not reasonable that the majority of the population would vote for such a person. Uh, they will claim that, just like in Belarus, in America, there were demonstrations, mass demonstrations before the elections, that the despot in charge, Lukashenko slash Trump, uh, used excessive force against these demonstrators. They will claim that in, that in America, just like in Belarus, that the despot in charge took every possible um, uh, action to stop uh, a legitimate election from taking place. In America, they will say that uh, Trump, they are saying, not will say, but are saying that Trump sabotaged the post, uh, the, the US, USPS, the United States Post uh, Service, that he welded shut mailboxes, that he uh, forced people to go vote in person, even though they're scared of the virus, of the China virus. Uh, they, will say, as, as they will say that uh, Trump refused to pass or to sign into law the relief package for the Postal Service that the Democrats passed, $25 billion, which obviously has not to do with what the Post Service could have done in such a short time frame anyway, but they will say it. And then uh, finally, they will, uh, finally the demonstrations that will, or the, not the demonstrations, but the acts of civil disobedience that will happen in America post-election if Trump wins, will by far dwarf the demonstrations that are taking place now. Again, demonstrations, the lootings, the, the and so on. So, you know, it only it takes two to make peace, but only takes one to make war. So if these Antifas and BLMs decide to make war, uh, there will just be no way for the administration in the days after the election to stop itself from acting against these, these violent uh, looters and, and really soldiers of the revolution. That's what they are. And um, there will have to be some uh, serious action taken against them. Uh, otherwise, they will just start burning down federal courthouses and, prop and uh, cities and whole cities, whole blocks. They will spread into the suburbs. Anyway, it'll be a total mess. And they, the idea that we can just contain it will not hold. It will not be containable. So even though Trump, President Trump will full well know that by deploying uh, America's paramilitary forces, so-called National Guard and so on, he will be playing into their hands. Nevertheless, he will have to do it because there just will be no other choice. So for the first time ever in America's 244 year history, there will be a situation, I firmly believe, after the election in which one of the two parties, the Democratic Party, will simply refuse to accept the results. 
and they will uh, do it kind of based on that Belarusian model. They will just say uh, that the election was so compromised by the despotic power in charge, in other words, by President Trump, that its results are null and void and cannot be believed. And what happens then is, is uh, the real question. So what can we as regular people, you know, do about it? Um, you know, I would say that this election is going to be a type of man-made disaster that in many ways is not really that, that much different than uh, natural disasters. So I would recommend to you, and even though uh, I live in quite a rural area and so on, I will do it myself. Uh, I would recommend to start preparing for uh, the, the, the days after the election as if you were going to experience a major natural disaster. Maybe if you live in uh, areas that are prone to earthquakes, think about what you do in the case of uh, uh, an earthquake. If you live... Uh, you know, far north, like in uh, North Dakota or something like that, think of what you would do if the forecast calls for a really heavy <clears throat> snowstorm. Or if you live in, uh, in Florida and the Gulf Coast and so on, think about what you'd be doing if uh, there were a hurricane hurtling towards you. And, you know, I would, this election is going to be, and its aftermath, are likely to see some massive disruptions. So there could be things, depending on where you live, like loss of electrical power. There could be some curfews imposed. There could be a run on cash and ATMs, and a run on the banks. There could be uh, problems with uh, supply chains for uh, <clears throat> things like uh, food supplies, foodstuffs. There could be... Um, difficulty moving around on the roads because of demonstrations, because of roadblocks and so on. Uh, all of that is quite likely and, and if you the more populated the area in which you live and the more um, democratic voters you have around you, uh, the more likely that, uh, that you will suffer from these um, adverse consequences. And so just prepare like you would for a natural disaster. Store up on some uh, non-perishable foods. Um, if you have thought about putting in that standby generator, this may be a good time to do that. Because I do believe that there could be, you know, in California already, there are you know, planned, ro uh, planned blackouts, rolling blackouts, because these idiots there uh, decided that they could make electricity from fairy dust and, um, you know, unicorn, unicorn uh, braids. But, uh, of course, what we need to really do is burn fossil fuels. So they're paying the price for their uh, willful ignorance and for putting ideology ahead of technology. Uh, but uh, what I see in the, in, in the aftermath of Trump's re-election is... Uh, power disruptions that will have to do more with um, these roving bands of looters and so on attacking the electrical grid. I can see them attacking transformation stations, 
bringing down power um, power lines and, and things of that nature. So, uh, like I said, if you were thinking about putting in that generator, now may be a good time to do that. Why don't you go to your nearest, you know, home hardware store, um, Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever, and buy a few jerry cans uh, and fill them up with some with some gasoline. You know, I would say have a hundred, you know, liters, which I guess I'm I'm, I'm Israeli, so I'm I'm, I'm thinking in, in those terms, but. Let's say about 25 gallons, maybe 50 gallons of um, of gasoline in your in your garage. You know, just uh, make sure that they're away from any kind of source of fire or electrical junction boxes or whatever. You can store them safely outside as well. Uh, just have some gas on hand. You know, um, it doesn't cost you much, and and that's a really good precaution. So at least you can put some gas in your truck or car, even if, you know, uh, the, the gas station next to you runs out. And it may, because there could be significant disruptions to supply chains. And it may even be difficult to drive. So driving around in search of a, a gas station that has not run out may be quite a dangerous, you know, enterprise. So I know that there is a lot of talk about firearms around you know around the twitter sphere on the right and so on and i'm a huge proponent of the second amendment and have uh, being an israeli have uh, trained with weapons uh, all my life and uh, had the chance to use them as well uh, but and 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 so yes uh, you know i do want to encourage you to following all the laws and rules and regulations and being totally legal i do want to encourage you to Make make it make sure that you have the training and the hardware in your in your home to, to protect it. And we actually had a beautiful show about that uh, in the last uh, last week uh, with Tyler Capobras, and we'll go, we're going to bring him back, I think, next week for another show about uh, firearms. But firearms are, are just a part of it. You know, you can't eat them, right? You cannot eat firearms. You cannot put rounds of ammunition in your truck if you need to drive your kids, you know, to the hospital or something like that. Um, and so you really do have to think beyond just having the farms. And by the way, if your home is besieged for a couple of days and you're using your firearms to make sure that nobody enters it who you don't want to enter it you still have to eat so you still have to make sure that you do have plenty of foodstuffs plenty of drinkable clean water plenty of gasoline to power your truck and your generator and by the way if you are going to put in a generator and i'm you know I'm, I'm sorry that i'm going into these small details but maybe some of you will find it helpful if you are trying if if you are thinking of a generator why don't you uh, consider a propane or, or liquid propane lpg power generator that's what i'm doing for my home so i don't know if you're if you have a, a propane for your cooking or whatever but you can bring a 400 pound tank and hook it up to either your standby generator or just a kind of on-demand generator there's plenty of them that are sold 
that are dual dual fuel in other words they are both propane and gasoline and that gives you uh, a longer operational time before refueling and it uses a different fuel than you than you need for your truck and your car so you don't um, dip into your gasoline supply in order to power your home and i think that's a smart move as long as you don't rely on just a 20 pound barbecue canister because that's only going to give you oh i don't know five or six hours at a reasonable load uh you know 400 pound tank will give you 20 times that so now you're talking about you know 100 hours which is already you know four or five days and hopefully within that kind of time frame you can the issue gets resolved right but all i'm saying folks is that prepare for november 3rd as if it were uh, a serious natural disaster in your area and then on top of that since we're going to be dealing with not mother nature but with human beings you can put that layer of uh, firearms and uh, tactical how you're going to defend your home but again defending your home doesn't mean that you can stop eating you still have to eat you still have to have electricity in your home you still have to drive and so on so please think about that uh, the other aspect of being prepared is i think the mental aspect so please become aware and please make sure that everybody in your family including your children and even children at a kind of a toddler age like you know two and above are prepared so of course you don't talk to a two-year-old like you talk to a 15 year old but i think children you know i have experience as a parent what children children will uh, adapt to anything as long as they're not taken totally by surprise if their parents tell them hey guys you know there may be some if you talk to a two-year-old you can just say hey you know what it may be a little bit different here uh, for a couple of days but we're, we're going to be totally okay if you talk to your 15 year old you can say listen you know the country is very much divided uh, this election uh, the, the anger that is being brought into it is kind of unprecedented you probably feel that at school and so on so you know what we're just going to take some precautions because we don't know what's going to happen on November 4th, you know, after the election. Maybe there's going to be some trouble. So we're just going to make sure that even if there is trouble, we're going to be okay. So why don't you bring, if, if you have teenagers, bring them into your planning. What happens if somebody tries to invade your home? Where do they go? What do they do? Maybe they have to grab the four-year-old sister or brother and take them down to the basement maybe they have to do give them roles if you give them roles they will feel like they're a part of it whereas if they just surprised and you never talk to them about it you don't know what they're going to do and 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 that's not the place where you where, where you want to be so talk to your kids talk to your even elderly assign everybody a role for what to do if things go a little bit awry and even a lot awry so my friends uh in order for us to survive in order for us to be free 
sometimes we have to level our gaze at reality and prepare for the worst case scenario. And I suggest that you start thinking along these lines for the aftermath of this coming election. Thank you and see you next time uh, on Choose to be Free.